0: Father, you are faithful every day, all the time, even when we are not. Father, even when we struggle in our lives, you are faithful. Even when we fall, you are there wanting to pick us up. Father, this morning we call out to you. We cry out to you asking that you would be the God who would be faithful and would be there as you've promised. Lord, we know it is true. And Father, we know also that One of the best and easiest ways to be back in tight relationship with you is to be able to admit that we are weak, to admit that you are strong. Lord, to be able to go to you and to be able to say, God, I can't do everything by myself. I've made mistakes. There's sin in my life. Please forgive me so I can start all over again with you. So we're just going to take a moment, each of us individually right now in our seats, to just go to God and just ask forgiveness for anything that's keeping us away from him, anything that's keeping us away from really worshiping him this morning. Let's just go and ask forgiveness right now, each of us individually. And Father, forgive us of those things, Lord, and as we are here this morning, To talk about hope in the beginning of a new series, Father, we've, Lord, we pray that our hope would be based on you and you alone. Father, that you would be the source of hope in our lives, that as we turn more and more of our lives over to you, that we experience real life, real abundance, Father. Lord, we pray this morning that you would just pour out your Holy Spirit in each of our lives, Lord, helping that hope to be a part of it, that reality. Of your love and that reality of your existence, Lord, to pierce through our world into our lives. Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Get dark down there. You can't. And the only thing I can see down there man,
1: is the knife and this big, horrible creature with razor sharp teeth. Nice barrier, man. And then he has to blast his way. Two little the ocean for days
0: on the East Australian current means that he may be on his way here right now that should put him in sydney harbor
1: in a matter of days i mean it sounds like this guy's gonna stop, stop at nothing. nothing until he finds his son i sure hope he makes it there's one dedicated father if you ask me Rats with now wings. has been looking for his boy Nemo. Nemo? He-, he was taken off the reef by divers and this cr- guy. Mine, 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 mine. Mine, mine. Hey, hey, say that again. You just said something about Nemo. What was it? Mine? mine, mine. 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 Last I heard, he's heading towards the harbour. <laughs> brilliant! Is he doing okay? I don't know, but whatever you do, don't mention D-A-R. It's okay. I know who you're talking about, So ready to get out. So ready to taste that ocean. I was willing to put you in harm's way to get there. Nothing should be worth that. I'm sorry I couldn't get you back to your father, kid. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, 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 hey. What the? Ah! Well, that's oh. one way to pull a tooth. <laughs> oh. Oh. Huh. Darn kids. Well, good thing I pulled the right one, hey Prime Minister?
0: Hey, hey, psst. Oh, Nigel, you just missed an extraction.
1: Oh, has he loosened the periodontal ligament with the elevator yet? Oh, what am I talking about? Nemo, where's Nemo? I've got to speak with him. What? What is it? Your dad's been fighting the entire ocean looking for you. My father? Really? Really? Oh, yeah. He's traveled hundreds of miles. He's been battling sharks and jellyfish, sharks? all sorts of... That can't be him. Are you sure? What was his name? Uh, some sort of sport fish or something. Tuna? Uh, trout? Marlin? That's it. Marlin, the little clownfish from the reef. It's my dad! He took on a shark! I heard he took on three. Three? Three! Three, three. three sharks? There's gotta be 4,800 teeth! You see, kid, after you were taken by Diver Dan over there, your dad followed the boat you were on like a maniac. Really? He's swimming and he's swimming and he's giving it all he's got. And then three gigantic sharks, capturing them. He blows them up and then dives starts to his feet he gets chased by a monster with huge teeth. Ties the to the rock. What the get gets to an entire jellyfish forest. But now he's riding with a bunch of sea in the East Australian current, and the, the word is
0: You know when we watch this clip, <clears throat> Nemo can't believe that his father would go to such great lengths to save him, right? And that when he finds out to the great lengths to which he went, it instills hope, confidence in what his father will do right for those of us who are believers it's a perfect metaphor for us as well because when we hear about what our father in heaven has done for us by his willingness to send jesus to come and die on the cross for our sins to be our savior that it should instill hope it should instill confidence in our lives the problem is or the challenge is it's very easy for us to get discouraged it's very easy for us to kind of feel like that we are in a glass tank that we are separated that our world is sort of all it is, right? It would have been very easy for Nemo to just give up, believing that the tank was all it is. However, when he found out the great extent to which his father was willing to reach out to him, right, it instilled hope and confidence of a better life, of something different. In this movie clip this morning, we see the source of hope, and we're going to talk about this this morning because as Christians, we should be able to have. We should have hope in our lives. We should have that desire and that hope in our lives because we are children of the Father, of the Heavenly Father. Our four-week series then that we're going to be talking about this this week, is uh, starting this week and through the next couple of weeks, is we're going to look at several people of hope. As we talk about this issue of returning to hope in our lives, I know over the last several weeks that we have... Um, that we have uh, had a good discussion um, about the, the, the difficulties of living in our world during an economic downturn, um, during a time where it's been difficult to live, right? Um, the last couple of months have been painful for lots of us. Um, and so when we talk about this issue of hope, what does it mean when we desire to return back to it? When we hear God calling to us, when we hear his story, and we desire to reunite with it. We desire to make sure that it is primary um, in our lives. Well, our strategy then is going to be this, is that this week and for the next three weeks up until Easter, um, we're going to look at four different people in the Bible and see how their lives exemplified hope, how as they were trying to get back into really great relationship with God, that hope and confidence was a big part of their journey, right? If you've been here through other Easter series, um, this is always our most special series, or at least in my mind it is. And one of the reasons why is because our vision here at Berryessa Valley Church is to extend the hope of Jesus Christ to our community, right? And um, hope is really critical because in our world, um, we define hope as what? Well, I hope that the banks can be restored, right? I hope that my 401k will go back where it was, right? Um, I hope that people will start hiring soon, right? And when we say hope like that in our world, what do we mean? We mean that if we wish upon a star, or if there was a miracle, or if somehow, you know, the planets would align and it would happen, we mean hope in the sense that hope is something that we wish in. But the thing is, is that the Bible uses a word for hope that we don't really have in English. The biblical word for hope, doesn't mean, I wish upon a star. It doesn't mean, I hope my 401k goes back where it is. Hope in the Bible means confidence. It means that we know that something is going to happen, and we are waiting for it confidently. That's what biblical hope is. So anytime you see the word hope in the Bible, um, then replace it with the word confidence, and you'll have a better understanding of what it means. In fact, modern translations of the Bible, they usually don't even put the word hope in there anymore. They put confidence. Because so many of us in the Western world, we miss it because we think it's wishing upon the star. So when we say that our hope is in the Lord, in in, from the biblical sense, and we've talked about this the last couple of years, we're saying that our confidence is in the Lord, that we know that he is going to make things come to pass, um, but we are anxiously awaiting for that. So for this week and the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at people of hope, not because they wished upon a star, but because they were confidently and waiting patiently, knowing that God was going to do something in their lives, but not knowing when or not knowing how, but knowing confidently that he was. That was their source um, of hope. Well, today we're going to look at David. Um, David's a good guy to kick off um, this discussion with because, um, you know, he had a real kind of downturn in his life, right, if you've ever studied his life or or read through the Bible, right? Right. Um, he had not just an economic downturn. He had a sociopolitical downturn. Um, he had lots and lots of problems, right? And it was only his hope that God would restore him, that God would bring life back to him that really made a difference in David's life, that he, when he, by faith, just started to be able to admit that God is who he said he was, started to admit that his Heavenly Father cared about him, was coming for him, was able to turn away from the mistakes that he had made, was able to embrace hope. That is the David. Um, When we look at the Psalms, that is that David that we usually hear, and that's who we're going to talk about today. Well, we're going to see what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 16. So if you want to turn there on the Jumbotron, you're welcome to do that. Um, No, if you want to turn there on the Jumbotron, that shows you how tired I am. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, you're welcome to do that to Psalm 16. It will also be up here on the Jumbotron as well. You can't turn it to it in the jumbotron, right? All right, so Bibles, you can turn to it up there on the big screen. All right, Psalm 16. This is a great psalm. This is a psalm written by David. Um, for those of you that are not familiar with the, what the word psalm means, you know, you you just you come in and it's some church word that you've heard before. A psalm is basically a poem or a song of praise or despair. Or when I say despair, I mean you know just you know admitting our mistakes that sort of thing, it basically is David speaking poetically about God, okay? So, for example, if you were to ever, in your quiet time, maybe you were sit down and you were to pray and you were to say, oh God, you know, help me with this, or, you know, I worship you in this way, God, and it would just sort of be sort of poetic, your thoughts poetically, that is exactly what um, David is doing here. All right, let's see what the Bible says in Psalm 16. Um, here we go. Um, so this is David reflecting on his relationship with God. Keep me safe, O God, for I have to come to you for refuge. This is like the, the theme of this psalm, that, that, God, that David's saying, listen, God, I am in the midst of crisis in my life, and I'm just going to come to you because I know that you are the source of refuge. That even when the world is turbulent, that if I turn my life over to you, that I can experience peace and refuge in you, David continues, I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land, what a wonderful inheritance. Now, here's the thing, just to give you a little bit of background to understand this psalm, what's going on here is that David, because of his relationship with God, and it's slightly different than our relationship because we all have different relationships with God, but because of it, David had a specific place, a specific land of privilege that God had granted him and his ancestors and Uh, And so when he speaks about God, he also ties it in to that covenant promise that he had with God. Now, if we are a believer in Christ, we also have a covenant promise with God. For example, eternal life. For example, abundant life. We could talk about those things. But just to give you an idea, what's also happening is, is that David lived in, even though this land was allotted to him by God, this place was allotted to him by God for him and his people, he lived there with what? He lived there with lots of people who did what? Just live their lives however they wanted to, right? He talks about worshiping false gods, and we could talk about that being, you know, um, false gods in the capital G sense of the word, or we could talk about that just living, you know, for money. You know, he who has the most toys, you know, when they die lives. That would also be a false god there, right? So the problem is he's surrounded, even in his ancestral home that God has given him, he's surrounded by people who do what? Live their lives away from God, right? And it's the same thing with us, because we live in a, in, a, in a place where many of us go to work every day with people who could care less about God, right? Or maybe they just don't know. That, that's, that's usually the problem, right? They have an idea, a stereotype of the Bible. They have an idea or stereotype of religious people in churches, but they don't really know. They don't really know what God offers. So they live their lives however they want to. So it's a wonderful inheritance that David has received. We're going to talk about that in a minute. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. That's an awesome verse. We're, going to, we're also going to pick that one up. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me on how to bless the Lord. Right? I know the Lord is always with me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life. Granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. I'm just going to highlight this for a second. He says, For you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your holy one to lot, to rot in the grave, right? David is using a play on words here because David lived, what? Eh, you know, six, eight hundred years before Jesus, right? And so he's saying that you're not going to allow my body, which you have anointed for your service, Um, to rot in the grave, but you're not also going to allow Jesus to rot in the grave as well, right? Because it's a metaphor for the Savior who was to come. The Bible's full of that. Remember, though, that David wrote that six to 800 years before Jesus ever came and died on the cross and did not rot in the grave, right, and rose again at Easter. All right, let's talk about this. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Three ideas that we're going to talk about this morning. You're welcome to follow along in your handout. Um, the first one is that only God gives good to us. Now, I know that that may sound unusual if English is not your first language, but we can use good as a, as a noun, just like an adjective, right? Because the thing is is that when we talk about good, that which is good, right? I mean, all of us desire that which is good in our lives. We want good, right? I mean, if I were to ask you this morning, do you want bad in your lives? No one here is going to say yes, right? We're all going to say, no, we've had enough of bad, right? We've had enough of bad. We want good in our lives. The thing is, though, is that David comes from from this this idea, though, that only God gives good to us, that when we talk about what is good and what is right in our world, that it only comes from God and not anything of our own manufacture. See, this is going to be really critical for us to understand, and this is one of the myths of the world that we live in, and this is the aquarium that we live in, because we live in a world where many people will tell you in an in a offhand way, they'll say, well, you can find some good in our world, right? But as we know, this is easy for me to speak this now. Like if this was 19, I don't know, uh, maybe, you know, at the top of the dot-com bubble, you know, 2099, something like that, right? I could say that the world is fundamentally flawed, and you would be like, no, 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 you know, it's great, it's great to be alive right now. i got so much money rolling in. Everything's going, doing well, you know? And so it's easier for me to speak this issue now because we look at our world and we see all the you know, corruption and, and the violence and all the struggles that goes on in our world, right? And it's easier now because of the society having a, a, a hard time, right? It's easier for us to admit that when we look at our world that there's a fundamental flaw in our world. And so when we talk about God, we recognize that God is the one source of good in our world. I mean, anything that's ever been good, given to us that we would even remotely call good, we would have to acknowledge comes from God. But even more importantly, anything that's in our lives that we would call good is really mostly a shadow of that which is from God himself, right? Because anything that God purely gives into our lives can only be good for us. Only God gives good to us. Nothing in our world is innately good except for God. David picks this up here, and he says, I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you, right? I mean, David was in the midst of crisis in his life, right? He was in the midst of crisis, and he he realized that, you know, the things that I have that are good, those are from God, right? I mean, let's just make a very simple example here. Let me make a very simple example. For most of us, hopefully this is true for all of us, but for most of us, right, If we were to lose our jobs, it would be devastating. If we were to lose some of our money, some of our retirement, it would be devastating, right? Some of us are already in that boat. But when we do that, ask someone who's lost their job, ask someone who has lost some things in their lives that is also a believer, and what will they often tell you? Assuming they do not succumb to bitterness, but hold on to the hope that God has for them, what will they tell us? Well, they'll tell us that, you know, I lost that, and that was really bad, and I, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, but at the same time, I know that what is good, I still have, right? I mean, I still have my family. I still have my relationship with God. I'm still able to, 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 to be involved in, in ministry. I'm still able to do this. I'm still able to do that, right? Because when, when we lose some peripheral things, it doesn't change the good that God has for us. The reason why is because that which is from God is going to be eternal, And it's going to be good in our lives. When I think of some of the best things that are in my life, as a believer, I'm not thinking about financial things. I'm not thinking about monetary things. I'm not thinking about worldly things, right? I mean, when I think about the best things of my life, what are they going to be? They're going to be primarily things, uh, actually 100% things, that God has given to me. Relationships with my family, right? Relationships with you, and most of all, relationships with the Lord, those are the things that are most important. Those are the things that are most good. When I and when you go and we volunteer in ministry and we see a life change in somebody, right, that's a good that the world can never take away. That good doesn't become from ourselves. It comes from God working in us. So nothing in our world is innately good except for God. When we think about it... <laughs> We talked about this the last few weeks, right? We talked about, if you weren't here, we talked about the, the market conditions, and we talked about plotting God on the NASDAQ, right? And I asked, if we could plot God on the NASDAQ, what would he look like, right? And we decided that God would be like this. And I said a couple weeks ago, I said that, you know, if even, I said, if you could find a stock that went like this, we'd all get on board with that stock, right? And, and the funny thing is, I said that, you know, even if the world, even if the world could do this, there, there would always be one Jerk who would mess it up, right? To make it do like this, right? And we see that, right? Because our human nature is always going to kind of mess up God's plan for us and for our world, right? There's always going to be some guy who's not satisfied with enough, right? And that guy is always going to mess it up for everyone else. Well, more to the truth, the problem is we all have a little bit of that guy in our lives. We all are a little bit of him. And so the more we can turn our lives over to God, the more innate good that can come into it. God is the source of good in our lives. Our world is fundamentally flawed and fundamentally broken. I don't have to prove that to you, hopefully, this morning um, because of the, where we are right now. We can see it in our news. We can see it in the headlines. Um, but nothing is in our world is innately good except for God. See, this is the problem. The problem is, is that we live in an aquarium, where we think that the good life, right, is this, right? I mean, if I were to say the good life, we would think this, right? If I were to say lifestyles of the rich and famous, and I know some of you don't even know what that is, um, meaning that you're too young, right? Then what, what do we think of? We would think of something like this, right? We, we think of opulence and we think of wealth. But the problem is, is that that is not good. I mean, it's nice, Right? I mean, you know, if if you have, I mean, I don't know if I want candles and stuff. This is a a hotel in Notting Hill outside London, right? And uh, I've never been there. It's all I found on the Internet, just to to clarify. But um, if we look at this as being part of what is good in our world, then we buy into what is ultimately what? Broken in our world, right? Because the problem is, is that we know that money can't buy us happiness, Certainly we know that money cannot bring good into our lives. That really, when we desire good, then it has to come from God, right? What other source will it come from? Even our spouses. If you're married here, um, you have kids, you can, you can apply it to your kids. You can use your cousins. You can use whoever. doesn't matter, your boss. <laughs> you can use any of these people that you have relationships, right? Because at some point in time, they're going to let you down, right? They're going to let you down because they also, like us, are a part of this broken world. But when we desire good, that good only comes from God and God alone. Many will rush to God's who lead nowhere fast. See, this is what David's saying here. He's saying, listen, I said to the Lord, and this is what he cried out to God in his moment of prayer and singing. You are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes, right? He's saying the saints, those who follow the Lord, are really my heroes And that's kind of ironic, right, because David's the king. That would be like the president of the U.S. saying that people who are faithful in their churches worshiping the Lord are my heroes, right? I don't think we'd ever hear that any time in our existence, at least not any time in the modern era have we ever heard anything like that. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood, or even speak the names of their gods. You see many in our world will rush to gods who lead nowhere fast, right I mean, we will see people and they will follow after them. But David says that ultimately trouble is the only thing that comes of it right now here 's the problem because I know that when we read the scripture and we read this well, it 's easy for us to rationalize this and think, well, I know people I know people who You know, they live their lives however they want to. They're not Christians. They don't believe in God. And they're doing awesome. I mean, they're filthy rich. They're this, they're that, you know. How do we gel those two ideas together? How do we gel those two ideas together? Well, the thing is, is that first of all, you need to remember this. Every person you see in this world, you can't see them from God's perspective, okay? None of us have the ability to see a person from God's perspective. We see a person who is filthy rich and doing whatever they want to and living for themselves and just you know doing whatever and don't seem to have problems, but we see them just at a snapshot at a time, right? We see them for only one small season of their lives. Maybe we've even seen them 10 years, right? But it's still only a portion of their lives. The problem is is that we don't know their entire life. We don't know them from the day they were born till the day they will die. None of us will ever know someone like that, right? The Bible tells us, though, that when we give our lives over to our greeds, to our desires, to our own sinfulness, that it only leads to trouble and ultimately destruction, right? And so the problem is we are misled by our own inability to see as clearly as God can, right? You know, it's it's like this. We may see someone who we think is profiting. We may see someone who we think is... It has it all together from the world's perspective, and we hate it. We get mad because we say we're a follower of God. Why can't we? Why can't we have what they have? Right? But we don't know the trouble that they will face at some point in time for that. Again, it's easy to speak this message this morning because we see it. Right? I mean, you know, probably a year ago there were people on Wall Street who were doing what? <laughs> you would thought, man. I'm going to give up church, I'm going to give up God to be like them. Look how rich and look how successful they are, right? And now what? Right? But see, if we only knew them for that small season of their lives, we would have thought, you know, something's wrong here. Maybe the Bible's wrong. But when we see it from God's perspective, we take the long view on people's lives, we realize that all that stuff, all that looking for our own good all that trying to make ourselves to especially make ourselves better than other people at their expense all that does is lead to trouble trouble and ultimately destruction for those who do it why is that because it can never satisfy right all the money in the world all the finances in the world all the pleasures in the world all the whatever we want to have in this world all those things do not lead to good only god leads to good only he leads to righteousness many will rush to gods who lead nowhere fast right we know that we can see it now it's easy the problem is though is that let me just mention this before i move on there are also going to be people who are you know who are in your life when you go to work on monday there's going to be people there who what they're not believers they don't care less about god but they're not rich right they're not successful what do we do about them right The problem is that there are many types of gods, right? There are many types of gods in our world. And some people pursue, wealth. that's an easy one. I could pick on them all day, right? Because that's easy. We can see that. But many people pursue many other types of gods as well. They pursue gods of laziness. They pursue gods of just doing what they want to do. They pursue gods in this way and that way. I don't want to make this too metaphorical because David is specifically talking about people who primarily were choosing other ways of life other than the Christian life. But we see people all the time who pursue other ways of life than the Christian life, right? And David says, listen, it just leads to trouble because you cannot get good from it. And we all need good if we're going to stabilize our lives, right? We all need hope and confidence if we're going to stabilize our lives. Let me ask this question. How much better would your life be if you knew for a fact you were confident that the decision that you're going to make tomorrow was a good decision? What do you think? Would that, would that be useful? The next decision you make, and we all make decisions you know, every day, the next decision you make, if you knew that was going to be a good decision, you could have confidence that was going to be a good decision, would you be interested in that? course you would, right? You would all run to Las Vegas, and you would go to the blackjack tables, or you would go, you know, whatever, right? I'm just kidding. Hopefully not, right? Hopefully not. But if we could make a good decision and have the confidence that it's the decision that God wanted us to make, we would all do it, right? Somehow we have to get away from the world's perspective, from all these gods and all these ideologies and all these lifestyles. That pull us away from God, and we have to tap into the confidence of knowing God and having Him as a source of hope in our lives. Here David contrasts, as we just mentioned, his admiration of godly people with others he knows who are running in the wrong direction, right? And, w- and we can look at that in our own lives, because we see ourselves, You know, just to use the Nemo metaphor again, I mean, we can see ourselves, if you've seen the movie, you know, we're swimming against the current, right? I mean, we're trying to live our lives differently, and there's other people, we're trying to go towards what is good and what is right, and we pass people all the time who are doing what? As fast as they can the other way, right? But in the end, our calling above all else is to hold on to what is good, and to pursue God, and to seek God, and allow Him to be the source of good in our lives. We'll be tempted to turn around and go the other way. But if we return to the confidence that God has for us, it will make a huge difference in our lives. Second idea as we introduce this, this, this issue of hope, this series. Only God provides for our needs, right? I mean, here's what David says. David says this, again, Psalm 16 here. Lord, you are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. No, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me, right? When we think about it, again, only God provides for our needs. The problem is, is that as we've talked about in the past, is that we all have a large number of needs, right? Now, you men, I mean, I'm a guy, right? And I'm self-sufficient. Uh, I don't like to make commitments. I don't like to anyone to help me. People will say, "Can I, you know, can I help you in anything?" I'll be like, "Get away from me, right?" Because I can do it myself. Don't help me. I'll do it myself, right? I'm a man's man. I don't need your help. But the problem is, even us guys will admit, in our heart of hearts, that we have needs that we just can't seem to fulfill ourselves, right? Ladies, a lot of times you may have it easier in this regard to be able to admit that. When we look in the mirror. We know, and if we're honest, we know that there are needs in our lives that we can never fulfill ourselves, right? What do we do? <laughs> what, what is, if you go to work on Monday and you look around at the folks who are at work there with you, what are they doing, many of them? They're looking for good in their lives by what? Trying to fill all these empty holes and all these needs that they have, Right? But the problem is, if only God is good, he is the only, and he is the only source of good in our world, he's going to be the only one who can be able to provide for our needs, right? Hey, I'll tell you what. I love ice cream, for those of you that don't know this, right? So, a lot of nights, I need ice cream. I mean, I really do. I need ice cream, preferably chocolate with brownies and chocolate in it and chocolate sauce on it some more chocolate somewhere interwoven in the, the mix, right? So if I need ice cream, right, and my wife comes to me and she brings me carrot juice instead, right? Now I have to get my own ice cream in my house, right? Because I'm self-sufficient, right? But uh, she brings me carrot juice, right? I'm gonna be like, cool, yeah, that's a good. I'll, I'll drink, just have carrot juice tonight instead of ice cream, right? No, right? It's not good. It's not what I need, right? It's not what I want, right? Look, in the same way, the problem is is that we have needs that go down to the very core of who we are. Guys, you do. Trust me. Women, ladies, you know you do, right? We have needs that only God fulfill, can fulfill, right? We have the desire for chocolate ice cream with chocolate sauce on it, with chocolate brownies inside, right? And carrot juice is not going to do it. People may tell you that carrot juice is ha- healthy and it's good for you and you should, you should drink it, right? But it's not going to do it. It's not going to fulfill that need. Listen, in our world, people will tell you that having a lot of money, people will tell you that having a lot of you know, uh, friends, people will tell you that having great success and doing what you want to do, people will tell you all this thing that's healthy for you, right? But in the end, Is it good? And will it provide for your needs? Because the Bible tells us that only God is good and only He can provide for our needs. So if we're looking for chocolate ice cream and carrot juice, we're not going to find it. If we're looking for what is good and right in our world, we're not going to find it at the office, probably. We're not going to find it at the mall, probably. We're not going to find it in Vegas, probably, right? We're going to find it where? Where God is. I say probably because even in vegas someone could come and you know you could be really just down and out and someone could come and say hey i'm by the way i'm from a church and you know if you you're here on sunday i can see you're away from town come and experience god and maybe you could turn over your life so that's why i always say probably but the thing is is that we know that our needs are greater than we are willing to admit and only god is able to provide a solution to that only god is able to provide for our needs listen God's provision for us is free, but it's not a reward. This is really important, right? Just let's develop this, a good, solid, biblical understanding here. Because, again, David says, Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine, right? God's provision for us, when God starts to provide what we need, it is free. It's not something that we have to pay for, but it's not a reward, right? Right? It's easy for us in the church to start buying into this idea that somehow as we start coming to church or we start praying more, or we start reading our Bible, that God is therefore blessing us more, right? But that's not the way it works. It's not like you say, okay, I'm going to go to church three times this month, so that means I have a 75% rate, it's a four... four this month is a four Sunday month, so I have a 75% ratio. I'm batting, you know, 0.750. So therefore, God owes me, you know, X number of blessings. And no, 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 no. It's not a reward, right? David paints a very awesome picture here. He says what? That it's our inheritance from God, right? An inheritance is not a reward, is it? What is an inheritance? An inheritance is something that someone chooses to give to us out of the graciousness of who they are, right? That when they are no longer needing it because they passed from this world, or in the ancient world, a lot of times people gave inheritance before they died because they wanted to bless someone, right? They did it because they loved that person and because they wanted to make sure that person had everything that they needed. That's what inheritance is. You couldn't really earn it. I mean, uh, you know, we have the image of the gold digger in our society, right? You know, people who try to go and get inheritance from people. But in general, the idea of the inheritance is something that is a gracious gift that's given freely, right? Here's the interesting thing. In the original language here, David describes God as his chosen portion. Have you ever heard of God being talked about as, as our portion? Sometimes in old hymns you'll hear that, right? That God is our portion. But he describes, this is where it's from, God, he describes God as his chosen portion, meaning that all that he was waiting for in life was God. What he's saying here is that when he says that God is my chosen portion, what he's saying is that in all the world here, in all the world, that if I'm allotted one small part of that world, then I want it to be from God. That of all the things I could ever imagine, the portion, the section that I want, I want God. He is the chosen portion of my life, right? He is my inheritance. See, we use that word inheritance because if we've got family members, you know, who are a little bit wealthy, what do we think? We go, oh, man, you know, in our in our hearts, we say, oh, you know, when they pass away, maybe they'll leave me something. Right. You know, that's what we think. It's human nature. And so we think about it. And as believers, we say, oh, you know, wouldn't it be good if God would just pour out some of himself, some of his blessing in our lives? But David's clear, right? Because he does. Because when we have relationship with God and we have confidence in it, right? We know what God is going to do. But this is where the source of hope, this is where our return to hope is really critical. Because we live our lives as if we are orphans. As if we're abandoned by God, right? As if there is no inheritance on the way for us. But there is, right? There is if we are followers of Jesus. There's inheritance of what? What? Abundant life here on earth. doesn't mean financial. It means our being at peace with who God is and being able to be at peace with others around us, to be able to draw them to Christ, right? To be able to bless them. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And also eternal life in heaven. All that God was, all that he was waiting for in life was God. The question is this morning, is God your chosen portion? Because this is where, again, hope comes in. Because for many of us, when we think of, I would like to get an inheritance. What do we think of, right? Well, let's see. Um, If I could allot my chosen portion, um, I definitely want my uncle's house in Bahamas. Okay, that's got to be in the portion, right? Uh, You know, I definitely would like to do, you know, be able, my Aunt Sally, when she passes, I'd like to have this, right? I'd like to have that. Uh, You know, uh, maybe when... um, the guy in the position above me at work, maybe when he kicks the bucket, the boss will move me right on up there, or when he retires, he's only three years away from retiring. That's the portion that I want, right? See, it's so easy for us to, to, to it's so easy for us to align ourselves with the gods of this world, the brokenness of this world, rather than God Himself, and the good that He has for us. What good does God have for you? Do you know? Well, that's a hard question, right? Because I don't expect you to be able to rattle it off. I can't rattle it off. I think anyone who tr- tells you they could rattle it off, uh, would, in specifics certainly would be, would be problematic, right? Because we don't really know. See, that's the thing, right? I mean, that's why it's an inheritance because, you know, if you've ever gotten inheritance, you don't know. You don't know exactly what you're going to get. And if you've ever been disappointed in inheritance, this example won't work. But we know that because God is a source of good that he will give us and provide everything that we need in our lives, that he is the portion that we are needing and that we are waiting for. Knowing God is a gift that allows us to bless others. Now, here's the crazy thing, right? This is going to take off from where we were talking two weeks ago, right? Because he says, David says this, I will bless the Lord who guides me, even at night my heart instructs me. That's crazy. It's crazy, right? I love when the Bible's crazy. What is he saying here? Is, I will bless the Lord who guides me. You know, we talked about the last couple of weeks um, about blessing to a certain degree in the market conditions series, right? Next Sunday, if I roll in the parking lot in my Jaguar, I don't have a Jaguar, but let's say I did, right? Use Mercedes, Ferrari, whatever. You know, I always use Jaguar. I Ferrari. That's more me, right? Ferrari's me. Okay. So when I roll into the parking lot in my Ferrari, right, Next Sunday, this is a joke, not literally, okay? But when I do, all right, we're going to be tempted to say, hey, pastor, what a blessing that is, right? So when David says, I will bless God, does that mean he's going to buy him a car? See, we use that word in English, not so well, right? Not so well. What does it mean to bless and to be blessed? Well, one of the things that we talked about is what? The verse, I don't have it up here. I wish, I, I wish I'd kept it from the last series, but Hebrews 7, 7 says what? That when we, we give to others, right, we make a difference in other lives, and we're the ones who are more blessed than them because we're the giver at that point, right? So David, instead of seeing God as this rich old dude who was going to leave him a bunch of money and a bunch of good stuff, David thought, I'm going to get the party started in my life by doing what? I'm going to bless God first, right? I'm going to bless God first. But you know what's funny? That's the cycle that we need to get into, right? That's the attitude that we need to have. That's what we need to take hold of, right? Because we have the opportunity, you and I, to bless God as well. Our lives can be a blessing to him, but even more so, we are able to bless him, knowing what? Oh, I know how it works. We're all capitalists or some of socialists, but I'm a capitalist, right? So I want to know what I'm going to get back for, it, right? There's no, really no true socialist, right? Because we all want to know what we're going to get for. We're not going to give unless we're going to get, right? That's the honest truth, okay? So the thing is, is that we know. We have the confidence of knowing that God is going to provide all our needs and that what is good for us, right? We already know that in advance. Why not bless him? Why live our lives in aquarium, swimming around, thinking that this is the whole world when we know that our Father is coming for us to bless us? Why not go ahead and get the party started now? If he is the source of good and all that we need, why not allow him to do that now? Knowing God is a gift that allows us to know others. Real quickly here, third idea, we're just going to introduce some of these ideas that we're going to be talking about the next few weeks. Only God has a solution to our life. Not only is God the only source of good in our world, not only is God um, the only person that can provide for our needs, but only God has a solution to life, right? Because the problem is is that our needs are tied into our solutions, right? I mean, if I don't need... <laughs> oh, no, I can't say that. <laughs> and I was trying to think of something much more innocuous anyway, so... Well, I mean, of course, I'm joking. I don't need a Ferrari. Thank you for trying to keep me humble there. Uh, but... <laughs> But um, let's say that I don't need any more televisions. Let's just keep it simple, okay? I don't need any more televisions, right? I've got a television, I don't need another television, right? So the thing is, is that if some of you come to me and you come and give me, in fact, I have you know, one of those LCD, it's not a very big one, you know, but just like a, the LCD TV, right? You know, the, what do you call it? You know, the things they have at Costco now, right? And it fell off the back of the truck and so I got it real cheap, so it's got scratches all over it, but I got a TV, right? And so the thing is, is that um, if you come to me and you say, "Hey, pastor, um, hey, you want a TV? I'll give you a TV." I should say what? I don't need a TV. I got a TV right now. We're going to be tempted to say, "Oh, my," you know, my bathroom doesn't have a thirty-seven-inch LCD, right? <laughs> so sure, I'll take one off your hands, right? But the thing is, is that when we think about it if we have the TV, we don't really need another TV, right? We already have that solution, right? See, the problem is, is that if we look at our needs, our needs should tell us what our solution is. We talked about it from the beginning, right? That God is the only source of good. And we, if we want good in our world, then we look at God, right? And when we look at our needs, we know that God is only the only one who is able to fulfill our needs. And so when we talk about what is the solution to life, What is the thing that will transform us and make our lives differently and is ultimately the solution to our lives? We're not going to find it in things that don't answer our needs, and that's not good, right? Again, if I want chocolate ice cream and my wife brings me carrot juice, wrong answer, right? That's not a solution. That's heartburn. Or something else, right? only God has a solution to life, because he's the only one who can provide for our needs. We spend our lives, you look at the people at work, you look at family members, you look in your own life, but you will see that we spend our lives chasing after what? Things that we want, things that we don't even want, but things that we think we should have, things we think we deserve, right? Rather than the things that we need. And because of that, we're not looking for solutions to our lives, we're just adding peripheral things, right? Right? Just adding peripheral things, whereas God is the one who is that solution. Again, David says this, No wonder my heart is glad, and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever, right? I mean, that's a good solution, right? to be able to have abundant life, to be able to have eternal life, to know that when we pass from this world that we're just not going to sit in uh, some stinky grave somewhere, to know that we're not going to be you know, churned up and burned up and put in the urn in some guy's house you know, and then tossed out the to sea at some point, right? But to know that our lives and what we did had meaning and had value, right? Only comes from God. He's the only one able to bring good, into our lives. He's the only one to be able to provide for our needs and provide a solution as well. Let's look at this. Even in crisis, we really don't need to worry. This is the point that David's making here. He says, listen, no wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice because my body rests in safety, right? David is freed from the anxiety of this world because he knows that there is nothing in this world that can affect him because God is in control. Now, see, there's a flip side of talking about this message here in a time of anxiety in our world because it's very easy for us to give in to anxiety, for us to believe, oh, you know, as we talked about last couple weeks, to, to tie our lives into the market, to tie our lives into the news cycle, right? For us to believe that this is somehow destroying our lives. It's not. Yeah, I know, it can destroy our careers, it can destroy our finances, but that's not your life, is it? Is it? That's not your life. That's not who you are. It's not who you are. Even in crisis, we don't really need to worry. You know, there, there's a, a famous pastor who, who said it very, very well, far better than me. But he always, I've heard him speak this several times. And he says, you know, that anytime time we worry about something in our lives, we are saying that you are not God. God, you are not God. That's what we're saying. Because if God really is God, and he really wants the best for us, and we are his children, then he's going to work it out. He's going to work it out to our best interest. Now, it may not be our best interest in the moment, but to our best interest. Why Why would God promise us abundant life and eternal life if he only wanted to mess with us and do bad with us, right, He wouldn't, there's no point. He wouldn't do that. I mean, the Bible even says, I'm going to paraphrase Jesus here, but it, it even says that, you know, um, we as earthly fathers would not give our earthly children stones to eat. Why would God give anything less than, than us who are earthly fathers, right? He wouldn't. He won't, right? But the problem is not him, right? I mean, really, the problem is us because we don't believe it more importantly it's not an issue of faith right because the people on tv they'll say oh you don't have enough faith you got to give more money then you'll have faith no 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 it's not faith right faith is critical i'm not denying faith but the problem here in this situation is hope right confidence knowing that god is going to do what he says he's going to do the problem is i know that all of you who are believers here you have faith in god you believe in him You believe and you have put your faith, which means you have put your trust in him, but part of that is putting your hope in him as well, right? I mean, you could say, you could say that if you ever, and this is just an example, so don't freak out here, but you could say that if you ever went and gambled on anything in your life, that that would be something that you're saying that God is not in control. Because why do you need to do that? When God is the one who is able to be in control of everything in your lives, Now, I'm not against you sitting down with your, your friends and playing poker or stuff like that at all. But when God is in control of our lives, and we can admit that, it makes all the difference in the world. Even more importantly, when we can just say that, God, you are the one who is the source, that I know that you're going to bring good in my lives. it frees us, right? Because we don't worry anymore. We don't stress anymore because we know that God is in control of everything in our lives. The challenge that most of us lack as Christians is not faith, but is hope. Confidence of knowing that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Knowing it and living our lives that way is the challenge. Only God can show his people a path to peace. Real quickly here, we have a prophetic statement by David. He says, "For you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow my whole, whole, your holy one to rot in the grave." As I mentioned earlier, Jesus. Say, I mean, he's saying, "Listen, you're not going to allow me, as one of your children, to rot in the grave." But of course, it's a play on words, he's saying that you're not going to allow Jesus to rot in the grave. That you're going to let him rise from the dead for the salvation of humanity. It's a prophecy there, uh, a foretelling of what God is going to do. But even more so, David says, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasure of living with you forever, right? That he has that confidence, right? By the way, you know, Paul talks about the fact that there is what? Faith, hope, and love, right? And we're going to talk about hope for the next couple of weeks because the thing is, is that faith is what leads us into a relationship with God. Love is the reason why we do it, but hope is what does what? Sustain us through the days when it seems like God isn't there. The question is, do you have faith in God? Do you have faith in what He's done, but do you hope in Him as well? Are you confident that God is going to do what He says He's going to do? Are you confident that Jesus really is the Savior? Are you confident that God is going to restore you completely to Himself? Well, that's the promise of the Bible, and that's the challenge for us. Let's just have a moment of prayer and dedication this morning with all his bowed and all eyes closed. Let's just have a prayer, a moment of prayer and dedication. If you're here this morning, and you know, for the first time, you want to just say, you know, pastor, I've, I've kind of been coming to church for a while, or I've kind of just been floating through life, and I've never actually said that I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that I want to put all my hope and all my faith in him. If you're here, and that's you, just lift up your hand. If that's your first time decision on your part, just lift up your hand. Anyone here this morning? Anyone here this morning? All right, then for the rest of us, Father, Lord, I pray that we would put our hope and trust in you. Father, that we would know that Jesus is the one who came and died on the cross at Easter for our sins. Lord, that we may be able to have confidence and know that you are God and know that you will provide what we need. Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.